We live in an age of infinite leverage. What I mean by that is that your actions can be multiplied a thousandfold, either by broadcasting at a podcast or by investing capital or by having people work for you or by writing code. So because of that, the impacts of good decision-making are much higher than they used to be because now you can influence thousands or millions of people through your decisions or your code. So a clear mind leads to better judgment, leads to better outcome. So a happy calm, peaceful person will make better decisions and have better outcomes. So if you want to operate at peak performance, you have to learn how to tame your mind, just like you have to learn how to tame your body. Our good qualities, our good things that happen to us are foreign, and we only 
experience and ruminate on the bad things. And I have a philosophy or an idea of why we ruminate on the bad things and why we tend to let the good things pass us by. That's for another episode. But anyway, ladies and gentlemen, please, if you indulge me, think about your highs and lows. I think I will share one of my highs. One of my highs is that I have finally began to understand one of my central tensions in my life. And one of the central tensions in my life is with my main enemy. I have one enemy in this life, and it is time. I consistently feel like I do not have enough time. And I think some days I get a handle on my idea of time. I understand um, that you are not fighting against time. You are moving in concert with it. Time is an ever-present phenomenon. There is always enough time. It just comes down to how you manage it. But even when I feel like I am managing my time well, I still feel like I don't have enough. And so I I think I tend to come to this realization every every now and then I come to this realization that, damn it, you are afraid of wasting time. You're afraid of misutilizing your time. You think you don't have enough time. And Raiz, you have enough time. You just have to maximize the time that you have and just relax. Stop thinking you don't have enough time and you will have all the time in the world. And that's what I had to realize for myself, that that is my number one tension. And a high for me, a high for me, excuse me, is that I finally came to that realization. It's not going to be solved um, in one stroke, right? But it is the beginning of a beautiful, and maybe even me changing the conception of me versus time in my mind or me and time, right? Changing my relationship with time is going to be very beneficial in the future. Low point. All right. This this is this is this is not really a low. It's not real low, but it's also very personal. Publishers. Publishers. Reviewers. Stop calling me. I'm talking to you on the other end of this microphone. I know you're listening. Stop calling. I'm not picking up for a reason. I don't want to be bothered. I'm working. I'm working. Because I need you on the other end of this microphone to understand that I, to many, in that space, am a commodity. I understand that. I don't have any qualms with that. I am in a privileged position for the ideas in my head to be sought out. Not everybody gets that luxury. I understand that. But please stop calling me. Stop calling my phone. Stop emailing me. I do not want it. I am working as I am working, especially if I have not. If you're the, I don't want to say the competition, but especially, especially if I have not reached out to you or if I have not accepted your previous advances, I may be on the verge of blocking some folks. I'm blocking some emails. So this is my this is my um, last hurrah in that regard. And the reason why I call this a low is because hearing hearing the voicemails are annoying enough. And on top of that, what I get is the dangling of the presupposition that what you guys think is going to be helpful to my future. You're not helping. You're an obstacle to me. Corporations are an obstacle to me. I look for partnerships. I don't look to be owned. I don't look to be uh, steered in a direction. I look for people to partner. And this is just a friendly tip for the business practices going forward. Make sure you know and understand your clientele Make sure you know and you understand who you're reaching out to before you reach out because they just might not have the same philosophy as the struggling author in Kansas City 
or if he is a struggling author in Kansas City, just assume that he's a little more savvy. And again, the only reason why I call this a low is because sometimes we bump up against the old way of doing things and it fractures our mentality just a little bit and it makes us pontificate and go down the road of thinking as though when will they understand? And I get it. Everybody has a family to feed, but I know you guys listen to this platform. I know you guys are wondering what's next. I know you guys are wondering how do you guys get in the mix? That's all I'm going to say. So I want you guys to at least pontificate and extrapolate upon your own highs and lows. I hope you guys have done that. On top of that, I want you guys to think about a, a number between one and five. One being terrible, five meaning good. If you're at a one, we're going to get you to a two. If you're at a two, we're going to get you to a three. If you're at a three, we're going to get you to a four. And if you're at a four, we're going to get you to a five. And if you're at a five, we're going to break the scale. So I want you to think about your number between one and five. And hopefully by the end of this platform, by the end of this program, I can get you guys to the next number. Um, so last week I said that I was going to discuss the metaverse, Mark Zuckerberg's metaverse. Yep. And I wanted to take some time to discuss this because I feel like there is a lot of discourse surrounding this, both apt, accurate, and inaccurate too. As a science fiction author, I want you guys to know that this is right up my wheelhouse. Or as an author who has written science fiction, I want you guys to know that this is right up my wheelhouse. Um, because myself and many science fiction authors in the past have thought about this, right? We have thought about the idea of what digital space means for the collective at large. Because I always say, Science fiction is not about uh, explosions. It's not about robots. It's not about technology. It's about the human condition. Science fiction is the best venue to extrapolate upon the human condition without prejudice, giving human beings the greatest lens at looking at who we are and what we're going to become. So... Mark Zuckerberg says he's going to rebrand Facebook as Meta. And along with it, he comes out with this video, this commercial, this very terrible commercial that I only seen clips of. I did not watch it in full. I only saw clips of it and it just looks terrible. But I think Mark is, is rubbing up against something that he noticed in the culture something that I believe society has been interested in because, again, this has been in the talks in science fiction since uh, William Gibson's Necromancer. Um, I can't even remember what year that book came out. I think it was 1985, I believe, and maybe even some a little earlier than that. But it is the Internet that we are looking at here and what the internet is doing and what it has done to human beings since we've been alive. And the internet, like I've always said, if you've listened to me on other iterations of this platform, the internet is in its infancy. It may not feel like it, but the internet is very, very young. The internet is as old as me. I am 27 years old. The internet Wait, let me think. Am I older than the Internet? The Internet, the first website was developed in 1991. I believe government agencies had technology to approximate something like the World Wide Web since the 1980s. But it was used only for surveillance and secret service activity. So the first website for public consumption. And by the way, ladies and gentlemen, this is how these government agencies roll out technology anyway. I want you to pay close attention. How government agencies roll out technology, they, they use it for themselves first, right? They, they use it for themselves first, and then they send it out into the market. We don't get the first version of technology in our hands, right? It is used by the people, the powers that be, 
and then we receive it afterwards, usually a decade later. Oftentimes, we're a decade behind the technology that they already know exists or that already exists. So we're, we're now in concert with um, the Internet being in its 20s, pretty much. Born in 1991. Um, so it's 30. It's 30 years old. So it's a little bit older than me, a little bit older than most of us, but not that much. So I want us to hazard a, a little thought experiment. What will happen when the internet reaches our parents' age? Because there's a difference between the internet and technology. The internet, this is going to sound complex and, and kind of a little... Uh, wonky, but the internet is not technology. The internet is something else entirely. So let's say, for example, if the, if humans, if humans are children of God, And technology is the children of mankind. Then the internet is the equivalent of nature. It is the domain in which The children of man and the children of God coexist. Are you following me here? Do I have to say that again? Okay. So, if humans are the children of God and technology is the child of humans, then the internet is the equivalent to nature. It is the equivalent to a forest. It's the equivalent to the ocean. It is not created by us. It is not, there's not one person who owns the internet. There is a internet and there is real estate in the internet. It is where humans and technology coexist. What I mean by that, to further elaborate, so what you have is human beings and technology. Specifically when we talk about technology, especially being the children of man, we are talking about artificial intelligence, right? We can even look at it from a fire. Fire is technology. The first caveman to make some fire he was the Einstein of his day. And you know what he thought to do with that fire? He said, yo, this can cook my food, but also cook my food. It might be God. Maybe we should worship this fire because I've never seen an energy like this. But maybe not only should we worship this fire, maybe this fire is a weapon. Maybe this can hurt people. Maybe this can protect me. Here, come here. Let me touch you with this fire. He burns his fellow man. That is the same thing that is happening with technology. But again, technology comes out the mind of man. And, you know, there's certain theories and thought processes that technology in a, human beings are going to. Human beings are going to innovate themselves out of existence right we're, we're so focused on innovation and efficiency and optimization that once we create the artificial intelligence that is equivalent to or more intelligent than us it's only going to be able to realize that 
you humans are obsolete. Similar to how today, especially in 2021, we look at our parents' generation and think, you guys are kind of wonky. You guys are kind of warped in your thinking. Listen, mom and dad, there's more than one gender. Listen, mom and dad, pronouns are a thing of the past. We don't care about pronouns. We, we want to make our own pronouns to identify ourselves as. And mom and dad are like, well, what do you mean? There is he, she, him, her. They, them, there already exist and have meanings. But this generation is saying, mom, dad, you're wrong. This generation is even challenging ideas of God. This generation doesn't even really believe in God. We think or act as though God is an option, which he is. Which he is. God is an option. God is not the reason why all things exist, but it's a possible explanation for why things exist for many people. But along with God also comes rules, regulations, and structures. That's the main reason why people follow and believe in God, right? It's because if you believe in God, you automatically believe that there is a way you should be and a way you can't be. It's about boundaries and rules and restrictions, traditions. It's not necessarily about believing that there's a sky pappy who's uh, going to bless you ever longingly so long as you listen to him. What God is is a high ideal which we submit ourselves to willingly because of the fruit that comes from living a disciplined life. Not that believing in God gives you the bountiful fruit, but it's that when you understand the importance of submission to discipline, to rules, to tradition, to regulation, that is when blessings begin to rain upon you. See, it's way, way deeper than believing in some sky daddy. Way deeper. But we don't ever get to have that conversation because of what has been done in society in the name of religion. But that's going off a tangent. What we see happening is men and women of today looking at the past and saying, that's not how we should do it. Open rebellion. And so what tends to be the philosophy is, well, and the subconscious fear is, well, why wouldn't AI do that to us? Why wouldn't our children, artificial intelligence, expanding technology, giving technology the ability to make its own decisions, especially giving it the power of decision making, how are we going to be so sure that it doesn't look at us like we've done it all wrong and rebels against us? Because, so again, the metaverse, it isn't technology. It is the bounded space by which, not the metaverse, the internet. We're going to get to the metaverse in a second. The internet is the bounded space by which human beings and technology interact. Use that as your framework concept. So when we use the internet, we're able to look at the past. We're able to look at ancient Rome, ancient Egypt. We're able to look at the civil rights movement. We're able to look at, you name it, all aspects of the past and present and making opinions and inferences therefrom to help build an ideology to, to protect ourselves against wrongdoing or to protect ourselves against future wrongdoing. But what AI is going to be able to do is all of that faster and make concrete decisions without emotions attached to it. So let's say, hypothetically speaking, um, two people come in for a bank loan. Black man, white man. We have a black man, we have a white man. Same qualifications. Same job description. Same income same familial history. They come from the same neighborhood. Now, who's making the decisions? Let's say we put an AI in charge of 
doing this is why underwriting is so important in financial institutions but again different conversations for a different day but we have an ai qualifying and saying nope you don't qualify yes you do qualify nope you don't qualify what the ai is going to do which is kind of what they do today already when it comes to uh credit scores and stuff like that but we're going to have the ai come in and say okay what do you need a loan for i need a loan for my business um I'm looking for $350,000 for my business. I have a, I want to create a bookstore. I want to open up a bookstore in my neighborhood. Um, do you have the resources for me? The AI is going to say, okay, well, it's going to scour the internet. Look through everything. Take history, not just history of the individual, but history of the entire human context for this ethnic population. Unless you put, unless there's a smart enough, a smart enough, a savvy enough programmer that says, we're only going to look at this bounded space here. We're only going to look at employment history, et cetera, et cetera. However, what tends to be the case with human beings is when we meet somebody, when we're face-to-face with somebody, our subconscious biases take into consideration all the things that we have seen, learned, and understood via our subconscious downloading of information on the internet, in personal experiences. So when you're talking to an actual banker, they're not looking at you as a person, they're looking at you as a vessel for of experience. So how do you create that same level of discernment within AI? It's either you have to give it the full reign of human history to make a conscious decision because he's not going to be able to understand just purely based off job description, purely based off income. He's going to need more information or to properly do its assigned task. But what is the proper information you give it? And the same thing is going to be true on the other hand. So let's say the white man comes in, he asks for the same thing, asks for the same loan, wants to start a book bookstore, $350,000. It's going to take the entire history, the entire history of this specific ethnic group, of this specific gender, of this specific orientation. It's going to take the entire history of this type of person and use that to make its decision. And then you ask yourself, well, which one is going to get the loan? Now, that's the fear of technology. That's the fear indiscernible qualities is going to miss the nuances inside of our discourse and our discussions that human beings seem to have down pat. Conversely, there's a billionaire, a German billionaire named Christian Angermeyer. I, I suggest you guys look him up. He is a German VC. He runs an investment group, a billion dollar company. And his, his rise to prominence was around uh, psychedelics and using psychedelics, um, the commercial access to psychedelics. But one of the things he said that was interesting to me was he wants to, he's a part of an elite group that wants to classify aging as an illness so we can run clinical trials on medicine that can prevent aging because if you he's under the impression that aging is a unnatural process it's not something that we have to succumb to it's something that we have succumbed to meaning it is systems failing in our bodies it's not something that is entirely natural. The decay of life isn't entirely natural. It can be prevented. I mean, let's look at a GMO fruit. You ever seen GMO fruit? How long it lasts versus an organic apple? You take a you take a a genetically modified apple and you take an organic apple, sit them both on the counter on the sun, see which one lasts longer. But what are the things that they're doing to the genetically modified apple that is making it so long-standing? What is the organic apple missing? Can we reproduce that same thing in human beings? And so what he proposes is, 
It's not the idea of living forever that we should want. It's the idea of choosing when we die. So an individual can be 150 years old, 200 years old, and say, all right, I've had enough. I want to die now. See, that's the thing. That right there is is tricky. Because again, let's say that same type of experiment, right? How much is this anti-aging medicine going to cost? What kind of health insurance do I need to have to get this anti-aging medicine? What's my premium going to be? We already have a Medicare, Medicaid issue, healthcare issue in this country. It's not universal. So let's say we extrapolate that with technology that allows some people to choose how long they live due to certain medicines and other people don't have that option. Who is going to be alive at the end? And I'm not saying that this is some some uh, some white supremacist machination of keeping oppression everlasting. I wouldn't say that. I wouldn't say that technology is being used as a vessel for white supremacy. I wouldn't say that. But what I will say is what you then have is a little bit of classism. It's no secret that white people are going to be phased out of existence. And by phased out, I mean breeded out. White men specifically are one of the least desirable races of men by other ethnic groups. White men and white women are still dating, still, still, you know, coupling. However, Mexican women aren't choosing white men. Black women aren't choosing white men. They're race loyal. White women are not race loyal. On average, Asian women are race loyal. However, if they're not race loyal, they'll date a Mexican, they'll date a black man, and vice versa. White men are isolated in this small demographic over here to where, number one, they're the majority right now, but the thing at large is men aren't having as much sex as they used to. There's a lot of virgins out here. Men have overwhelmingly taken the space of women as the dominant group, the, the, the least sexually active group. And so if you take all that data and compound it with white men being the least sexually active group amongst all men, well, then you have an interesting discussion here, right? Don't we? So what you end up seeing, especially if things go according to how uh, technology is moving with access being the centerpiece of what we're looking at. Let's say, you know, all these billionaires and thousandaires and, you know, people who are well off say, you know what? I want to take this life altering drug. I want to I want to extend my lifespan. Well, then you have these white men living like Vandal Savage 200 years getting infinite chances to uh, spread their seed and copulate. Getting infinite chances to recognize their flaws, access to wealth, access to success, figure out how to be more successful. And then they end up finding a, a, a young woman, getting her pregnant and doing re, redoing this cycle over and over and over again while those who can't afford this drug or these medicines that can extend lifespan are just living till 70, 80. Dying as we are dying. But that's just the the, the other part of technology. Let me not be so morbid. The fact of the matter is, and I think you guys will agree with this too, I would rather live as me today than a king 600 years ago. It is much more advantageous for me to live today than be me 600 years ago. Why? 
For me, it's it's simple. Reason number one, I wear glasses. Right, six hundred years ago, there are no glasses. I'd be dead. I'd be dead because I can't see. It doesn't matter what kind of king I am. I probably even wouldn't make it to king because I can't see. And then I also want to take into consideration, you know, the fear of technology is sometimes unwarranted. Sometimes, even with all that I've said, it's still sometimes unwarranted because let's say, for example, again, let's use the, my glasses. Glasses are technology. There are better technologies out there for me to to supplement my poor eyesight than wearing glasses. There's contact lenses. There's LASIK eye surgery. Those technologies exist to me. LASIK eye surgery, maybe it's a it's a money thing, or maybe it's a fear thing. I don't want a laser cutting into my eye, nor do I want to pay money for something that possibly will revert back. It's not certain that LASIK eye surgery will last forever. But they found successful data that shows LASIK eye surgery is incredibly helpful. But yet and still, with all of this at play, I still wear glasses. With all of this technology available for me to correct my eyesight, I still wear glasses and eat carrots like it's going to help my eyes. It's because there's something about the human experience that technology cannot quantify for. We approach technology when we're ready for it as individuals. As individuals. It's not some doom calendar where new technology arises and we all are suddenly victim to it. It doesn't work that way. It really doesn't. You know, I never thought of this before this moment, so bear with me. You know what's very interesting about podcasting? I watch the field. I study the field like a madman. And what's interesting about podcasting is podcasts like the one that I'm doing right now, where it's just one man talking into a microphone for about an hour. They're very unpopular. Why is that? The reason why that is, is because they don't mimic human experience in a novel way. There's certain things that I may say in this podcast that grasp attention, right? That helps somebody make sense of either an issue or an event in society today presents a interesting perspective. But the thing about one man talking into a microphone for an hour is You guys talk to yourselves for longer than that all day. So what I am doing is not inherently special to many. It's like, well, this is just some dude talking in a microphone, his thoughts, his observations. I observe things all the time. What makes his observations better than my observations? If I want to listen to some observations, I'll just listen to my own observations. I understand. That's understandable. But the other side is, why are podcasts where there's more than one person on the mic or interview-based podcasts or true crime podcasts very popular? It's because it dials into something else about the human experience that we want, need, and crave. The voyeuristic experience of companionship. See, that's also what human nature is about. It's about the symbiotic experience of companionship. And you're able to see this pattern in all aspects of society. Where what we want, what we want for technology is to be more connected. It's why we like programs where there's friends. We like, for example, friends. Why? Because it's just a bunch of friends. We like Seinfeld. Why? Because it's just a bunch of friends. Shows that are seemingly about nothing mean the most to us because they're about friends why why is the simpsons about a family why is family guy about family why is bob burgers about a family why is futurama about a makeshift family 
because we crave this experience, this voyeuristic lens of what it means to be a human, no matter what. That's what we want technology for, to expand our understanding of what it means to be a human being. Not to be less human, but to figure out how to be more human. That is what technology does. So we wrestle with the idea of the metaverse. I'm going to say what the metaverse is and what the metaverse isn't. So Mark Zuckerberg is smart for one thing. Smart for being the first to take that leap. The problem with um, alternate reality and why it's never going to catch is because the, and I think I talked about this before, but bear with me if I haven't, or bear with me if I have, excuse me. The problem with alternate reality technology and virtual reality technology is the hypermediated space, right? So long as there is a burden of entry for the consumer to use the product, in this case, the metaverse. And again, I want to separate meta from the metaverse, right? They're two separate things. Meta is the branded name that Facebook jumped on first. The metaverse is an actual existed space. Again, it's like the internet. It is the the playground where human beings and technology coexist. That's the metaverse. Meta is the company that Mark Zuckerberg is using to to interface with the metaverse. Two different things. But the difference and the barrier for entry is hypermediation, which is so long as the consumer has to put on goggles, then they're always going to know that the experience isn't real. And I'm giving a lot of game here to the evil people who might be listening. This is just a lot of just, and, I, and I'm, I'm under the impression that maybe they already know this stuff. So it's not that big of a deal. However, I'm also giving insider secrets here. So the difference is in order to create a truly immersive virtual reality experience is the hypermediated space. Um, the, the phone can't be the vessel for entry. You get me right. The laptop can't be the vessel for entry. Headsets can't be the vessel for entry. What they're going to have to do in order for this to be popular, in order for this to be truly scary, as if this is something that we should all be worried about or this is something that we should all pay attention to. They would have to figure out a way to get rid of the hypermediated space. They can't be goggles. That's when we worry. Because so long as there are goggles, people can put those down and say, I'm going back to my job or I'm going back to the grocery store or I got kids to feed. You can take it off and put it down. Just like you can tell your child, put your phone down, come eat at the table. But imagine a world where there is no phone to put down. You just eat in the game. You eat in the metaverse and you get the same level of nutrients in the metaverse that you'll get in real life. See, that's the true thing that we're dealing with. That's what happens when the metaverse gets older. Remember what I said before about a system. Reproduces, results, captures human nature, acts on the intention of the creator, and the addendum cannot be revolutionized. Watch the world for those four characteristics and everything will make sense to you. Everything. Treat those four as your Bible to make sense of the things that are confusing and everything will make sense to you. You will not take things personal. You will not be afraid because if, if 
a system incoming does not capture those four things, you know it's a fad. You know it'll be here today, gone tomorrow. And some of the things you have to think really hard about and say, is it doing these things? Is it playing on our emotions? Is it giving us what we want? Is it feeding something, our egos, our insecurities? So with the metaverse, let's say there's an outcast in society. And I already spoke on it recently. Vast, we're we're experiencing record numbers of male virginity. We're experiencing record numbers of unhappiness. Suicide rates are high. Shoot, even in the NBA, field goal percentage is down the lowest since it's been for almost a quarter century. We're living in very, very interesting times here. What is it? But so let's say somebody or everybody, all these companies, figure out a way to get everybody invested in this metaverse. Yeah, Facebook, Meta, let's say Microsoft creates their own company called Alter. Let's say um, Google creates a company called Zeitgeist. Let's say these companies all create their own way to dial into the metaverse. Because again, the metaverse isn't a company. It is a place. It is an extension of the internet. It is the next stage of the internet. The internet today is only 30 years old. Imagine the internet when it's 60, when it's 70. That's why I just love being alive because I can't wait to see how all this plays out. But, but let's say everybody figures out their way in. And let's say when you are in um, Mark Zuckerberg's avenue to the metaverse that he patents, it's his it's his uh, channel to the metaverse. You can interact with Microsoft's channel to the metaverse. But not only that, what's going to happen eventually is that you're going to be able to buy digital real estate data. See, this is why data is so important because us on the outside, we don't really recognize the importance of our data. It's real estate in the metaverse. These powers, these people, these corporations are under the impression, under the 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 under, they, they understand that our data is more important than we realize. That's why there's a war for it, because there's a place where this stuff actually exists. It's the metaverse. NFTs, cryptocurrency. Where do you think your crypto is going to be able to be spent? Let's say you're an investor in crypto right now. You think in the real world, please understand this. You think that in the real world where there has been a war, we we acknowledge openly that eh, maybe we should stop using gas. Maybe we should find a different energy source. We acknowledge this time and time again since 2003. Nothing has changed. There's been competitors to gas, but gas itself isn't going anywhere. So you think in this real world, today inflation is crazy, in this real world, that they're going to someday decide, not to sound like a a, a anti-crypto guy, I'm not. You think that they're gonna someday decide Let's get rid of the dollar. Let's get rid of the dollar. We don't need it. Everybody who has Bitcoin, Ethereum, that's who we, that we're going to make that our official currency. That's what you think that this country who has existed for not that long, it's a fairly, fairly young country, that they're going to decide to get rid of the dollar in favor of crypto? No. If you have a 
billion, if you have a million dollars worth of crypto and the metaverse exists and they then make these, let's say in Mark Zuckerberg's metaverse, in Mark Zuckerberg's channel to the metaverse, he ends up making Ethereum the currency. So if you go to Mark Zuckerberg's metaverse, you can spend Ethereum. And only can you spend Ethereum if you have the most Ethereum, just like in the real world, you become powerful. You become successful. Your voice will matter because your Ethereum matters there. So how much Ethereum you own matters. But let's say in, in Zeitgeist, Microsoft's channel to the metaverse, crypto is Bitcoin. So if you have a lot of Bitcoin, you're a millionaire. If you have a lot of Bitcoin, you're powerful, you're wealthy. So then let's couple that with the understanding that what if your life sucks? What if reality has beaten you down so bad that you feel depressed, but you've never been the type to, to, to have suicidal thoughts? But imagine there is an out you can take. And it's the metaverse. You can live there. I can spend my time in the metaverse. Not only can I spend my time in the metaverse, if I have enough Bitcoin, I can be a millionaire in the metaverse. Why would I want to be working at Walmart in the real world and I can be a millionaire in the metaverse? That's what we're dealing with. That's the reality of this conversation. There's a lot here. There's a lot here to pay attention to. A lot here. And I'm not saying it's all bad at all, right? I'm not, I'm not one to say that everything that um, technology represents is bad because again, I'd rather be me today than a king 600 years ago. But I want you to pay attention to how these technologies. It's going to be a long way away before the reality in which I communicated is the norm. Like I said, they'd have to figure out a way to get rid of the mediated space. No, people aren't going to be wearing glasses. Google Glass failed. Facebook trying to have their glasses. Mark Zuckerberg trying to work on his little glasses that take pictures and stuff like that. It's not going to work. It's not going to work. Nobody's going to want to put on a headset. All that stuff, it's not going to work. It's not going to work. Maybe they can be, uh, I don't want to give any more game, but maybe there can be something on a wrist that, you know, um, affects the pulse. And by interfacing with the pulse, it dials you in to a certain uh, BPM, and by lowering your BPM, it can influence. Nah, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna give. I'm not gonna give the game. 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 That'd be silly of me to just be talking like this on a podcast where, you know, crazy publishers listen and try to absorb my ideas by proxy instead of paying me but it's my fault I give this stuff out for free and I give it out for free because I love you guys so much I just want us all to be on our square and when I'm not on my square you know feel free to say brother rice you are not on your square brother rice you're wrong about this brother rice you're right about that brother rice that made me think about this I'm open to it all I'm open to it all because I'm just one man I'm just one man with my own experiences. Um, I don't know anything, really. I don't know anything, really. But, ladies and gentlemen, I hope all of this made sense. I hope all of this made sense. Okay. This is the last thing I'm going to say. It's the last thing I'm going to say. 
I saw Kanye West on Drink Champs. Interview of the year. Interview of the year. Part two is coming tomorrow. I can't wait. I cannot wait. It's not going to be as good as part one because part two is never as good as part one. Especially when something happened that groundbreaking as part one. But Kanye West is going to be on Drink Champs again. It's always funny seeing how old heads just love the attention of stuff like this. It's just old heads. Anyway, like when I get old, I am going to be, shoot, I'm old now and I live in, re- in reclusion. But when I get old, my God, it's just putting out art, putting out ideas, and I'm not talking. I am not talking anymore. I'm just putting out art, putting out ideas, and just finding my own sense of, of peace and calm. For some reason, these old people just love to be in a mix, love to be in a brouhaha. It's so crazy. But Kanye West says something very controversial that I want us to pay attention to, and it's something that I've always believed about reality. That Big Sean was the worst decision that he's ever made. I, I really believe that, man. Like, I truly believe that. I think, and I don't want to shit on my black brother, I think Big Sean is probably one of the most mediocre rappers. Now, granted, the brother can actually rap, but the man can't make a song to save his life. Like a song. Like a song. If you listen to all of Big Sean's songs, they are all corny. They're all corny. Can rap his ass off. But making a song, like a song that I am just like, yo, this is a wave. Like Kendrick, like J. Cole, like Drake, like shit, even like Wale. This dude, Big Sean, can't do it to save his life. You go down to his hits, like his hits, Marvin Gaye and Chardonnay. Who is, who is slapping Marvin Gaye and Chardonnay today? If anybody's listening to Marvin Gaye and Chardonnay today, I will give you $200. Show me it on your most recent songs, and I'll give you $200. Nobody's listening to Marvin Gaye and Chardonnay. Nobody's listening to Ass today. Nobody is listening to um, um, Blessed. Way up, I feel blessed. Nobody's listening to that. Nobody's listening to Zen the F out. Nobody's listening to I Don't F With You Today. It's like, he cannot make a... He even ruined... What's that song with Janae? Uh, None of Your Concern. He even ruined that song. His verse is the worst part about that song. Every time his verse comes on on that song, I have to turn it off because he ruined it. Why is he screaming? Why are you screaming? Why are you screaming? When I see Big Sean... Like, he released this little EP with Hip Boy. I'm not even listening to it. I know there's not going to be a single song that I like. I'm going to be like, oh, he's right. Like, One Man Can Save the World. Y'all remember that song? Do you guys remember One Man Can Save the World? Is it Save the World or Change the World? One Man Can Change the World. I don't remember what song that is. I think it's Change the World. But awful. God awful. I don't know what this nigga be thinking in the studio. Like, so when Kanye West says, like, yo, signing Big Sean was the worst decision. Because it's like, bro, don't get on Twitter and, and be happy that you're independent. How dare you? How dare you? You should be ashamed of yourself getting on Twitter tap dancing because you're independent now. I don't know. I just thought that was funny because I agree. I've always thought that. Always. It's always been it's always been on my mind. Like this brother is awful at making songs. But uh I'm gonna take the rest of the day off today. Um going to relax and chill I'm not going to do any writing any working or I'm going to try not to because that damn what I do enough so uh, I want to say thank you guys for sitting through the ramblings of a 
at the black man. I appreciate you all.